mentioned that Dali's Christ compared to St. John of the Cross's Christ, Dali's is muscular. He almost looks like a trapeze artist suspended. And he actually did use a Hollywood stuntsman as his model for this, who actually <laughs> went up on a wooden structure cross-like in his studio for 20 minutes at a time. So Dali could see how the body actually looks when it's suspended from something like this. You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. Welcome to Catholic Art History. And today we are, we've talked about this painter before. Yeah. Was it the upper room image that we were talking about? Yeah, it was. I don't a, know what that's called. It was a Last Supper painting Last Supper. by Salvador Dali, yeah. and I know how much you like Dali, so I, I I picked this one. And I know that a lot of people know Dali from his really mind bending, kind of strange, surrealist images. Um, but would the most famous one be the clock, the melting the clock, melting clocks, melting clocks. Yeah. yeah, and 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 these otherworldly scenes. I feel like there's like. Elephants with really long legs and yeah, like, yes. it, 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 yeah. It's the like heaviness very, of the elephant on these spindly little legs. Yeah, like a sci-fi like, kind how of could that uh, even thing sometimes. Yeah. Right. yeah, he he really got into some grotesque and vulgar imagery at the height of his pre-Catholic years. He was. Mm -hmm. Born and raised Catholic. He's a Spanish artist. But then when he, he got into his art career and became a surrealist, he, you know, I don't know that he publicly denounced anything, but he wasn't practicing and his art was was really far afield of any kind of religious discipline, but really fascinated with bodily images. Hmm. So it seems to me that the the incarnation was on his mind, but it wasn't under any moral discipline. Okay. First of all, at that period of time, you don't have millions of artists around the world. You, what period of time is this? If you go back to the, even just the start of the 20th century, the end of the of the 19th century, there aren't millions of artists in the world. There are thousands. Okay. And those thousands, the good ones, are very competitive. And as you move into the 20th century, they part of this competition is, what could I do? You know, Kyle, you've done landscapes. I don't want to do landscapes. I better do big elephants with skinny legs. Uh -huh. you don't, you've never done that. Right. And you probably won't ever do that. <laughs> so, you know, there we are. But if so, you do, then it's because you're copying me. Because well, that, my right. idea was so the, crazy. I was the first. Yeah. You know. So, so there's a lot of that jostling going on. At the same time, there's a lot of artists paying attention to the philosophers who tell us that we're in charge of our own lives, not anything in heaven, that we rule what we do and what we don't. Mm -hmm. And so there's that modern thought coming in. There's this modern notion of we've got to find new subjects and compete with other artists to get known. So the surrealists turn to this notion of the dream. Don't you have some weird dreams? We all do. Uh -huh. Okay. And so I'm going to paint that, or I'm going to say I'm painting my dream. Uh -huh. It's also uniquely um, owned by you because you might know the landscape and I might know the landscape, but you don't know my dream. Mm -hmm. So- Try to figure that one out. So highly subjective, referencing psychoanalysts who put a, placed a lot of importance on subjective subconscious experiences like 
think of automatic writing where you just write the first thing that yeah. your mind produces yeah. and or you have a dream and you think it's so profound or you you know in the course of the day you you have all these incongruent thoughts and you think oh that that must mean something they they attached kind of eternal meaning to these subconscious experiences and the weirder the better uh -huh. that meant you know you were really striking something profound there yeah. <laughs> and and I don't mean to to denigrate the pursuit I think as Catholics we need to look at it through our perspective and take it with a grain of salt um, just because something is subconscious doesn't mean it's profound uh -huh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just because you have a dream doesn't mean it's true or that it's literally God talking to you right but these surrealists really thought that they were pioneering something that no one had ever dared to explore before, this subconscious world. And so, as Charles said, they were placing great value on subjective experience that put the personal self kind of at the nexus of the whole thing. Hmm. Now, it's funny is, is Salvador Dali, he was actually kicked out of the surrealists it's it was kind of like a secret society you had to <laughs> pass this test and adhere to some code and uh -huh. and his dali's art was what they called too illustrative so it's like too storybook it makes too much sense uh <laughs> it, it wasn't crazy enough <laughs> it wasn't crazy enough so th the surrealist valued kind of automatic artistic behavior that that wasn't controlled and wasn't didn't have a lot of forethought. But when we look at Dali's work, it's very planned. The compositions make a lot of sense. You can read it, even if the imagery is weird. And it actually looks like it's sending some kind of message. And I think the surrealist thought that was, he's actually illustrating surrealism. He's not actually being surreal. Well, and you know, at that point, let me put in this little bit. He found some early success as an illustrator to some pretty highbrow poets and, and writers. And I think they resented that, too, because it, in that transaction, he is actually illustrating this text. He knows he's doing it. It doesn't make him think that he's not original. He'll go back and do his original things. But, hey, this is pretty mm -hmm. profitable, so I'm going to do it. And so I think they start hating him for that and then continue it in the way that you're saying, Amanda. Yeah. So by the 1940s, he had become more public and more open about returning to his Catholic faith. So in 1948, he'd made an official announcement that he's going to return to Catholicism. He moved back to Spain. And that's when we start to see in his work, his work is less surreal and more what he calls cosmic mysticism. Hmm. So he had actually stumbled upon this really wonderful two-by-two-inch drawing by St. John of the Cross. Two-by-two-inch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay. a little circular drawing <laughs> that, that, that John of the Cross had made around 1550 responding to a mystical experience that he'd had. Mm -hmm. So Dali calls them dreams. St. John of the Cross is describing them as mystical experiences. So Dali may have felt some kinship with John of the Cross, who was also Spanish as well. So okay. he's he's thinking, you know, maybe, you know, if he's having these mystical experiences and I'm having visions as well, you know, maybe we have something in common. And and I don't mean to equate the saints 
mystical experiences with <laughs> Dali's dreams, uh-huh. but I would bet you that he he felt some kinship with uh-huh. that. And so John of the Cross was was the confessor of the nuns at the monastery of the incarnation, the Carmelite nuns. So he made this little drawing and gave it to the nuns and they've kept it in their museum and it's still on display today. Huh. And Dali comes across it. Oh, and and the drawing is of Christ crucified, but not from the perspective below of somebody who may have been at the crucifixion, mm-hmm. but from above. Mm-hmm. L- looking down at the crucified Christ. Right. right. So possibly God's perspective. Right. 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 Somebody <laughs> in a helicopter or. That's yeah. right. God on a cloud looking <laughs> somebody down. Somebody <laughs> up in a crane. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so from that perspective, you see the body hanging away from the cross mm-hmm. off. You know, the the weight of the body bringing it forward and then the hands kind of ripping off those nails. Christ in John's drawing is emaciated. He can barely hold on. He he doesn't have a lot of muscular strength to keep him up there. It's a really painful, gritty drawing of the crucifixion. The the agony. Yeah, but also it looks like it's like a pencil sketch. He used, yeah, he used pen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the cross is this three-dimensional, very heavy, kind of blocky cross. Mm -hmm. So the three-dimensionality of it is apparent. Now, in Dali's painting, which is huge, 80 by 45 inches, we have a similar perspective where the cross dominates the top two-thirds of the painting Mm -hmm. and traverses the entire width of the canvas. And the perspective is of somebody looking down at Christ crucified and Christ's body coming off of the cross. But the really odd part of this painting is that there are no nails. So he's on the cross, but only... He's willfully on the cross. He's willfully on the cross without nails there. And holding himself to it. Yeah, Right. And and that's a good point, Charles. Dali's Christ is really muscular. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that his own strength is holding him up there. <laughs> or perhaps the bright light that is casting. The bright light seems to be the viewer in this painting, if that makes any sense. It's our only clue as to huh. something looking at Christ and giving us this perspective. Without the light, we wouldn't even see it because it's kind of suspended in this dark cosmic world. Well, and that light comes from on high while the cross and Christ in the background, at least for the portion that we see behind the the cross, is a black void mm-hmm. like outer space. So it's from the cosmos, if you look at it that way. So that light can only be the light from God. And I'm glad you said that, Charles, because Dali said that he had this vision in a dream Mm -hmm. of Christ being the atom, A-T-O-M, that holds the whole universe together. And so this was painted at a time when uh, nuclear physics would have been kind of on the minds of a lot of people with the nuclear bomb and those kinds of advances in technology and science. So Dali was interested in that Thinking about Christ, Christ crucified, yes, but also Christ, the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, he it's it's not it's not this tiny 
drawing that John of the Cross did of the suffering, painful Christ, this Dali is is taking it to the Christ of the cosmos. Right. So you mentioned the top two thirds mm-hmm. being, if I cover up the bottom third of this, it's a crucifix with a black background. But the bottom third is like a completely different scene. It's almost like a, a cut and paste of two different things. It is. You're right. The bottom third is this really pretty kind of nice landscape scene looking out over a body of water surrounded by mountains with some clouds and dotting the horizon are ships and fishermen. And so that alludes to the Christ's command to be apostolic and become fishers of men mm-hmm. and share the gospel with all nations. So it's it's almost like these fishermen about to embark onto their journey mm-hmm. with Christ of the cosmos governing the whole thing. Right. Well, and the, the cloud layer, which has a golden godlike light from emanating from the earth, it is sort of like the atmosphere that surrounds our planet that Christ from the cosmos is looking in on, you know, how my people doing? Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're getting their boats ready, they're getting their nets ready. Uh, they're about to go do what they're what I want them to do. I couldn't find a reference to this, but it's you had World War One, World War Two. Everybody has a shock level and a just a disbelief level that we could come to the point where you'd have two world wars in the first half of right. that century. And it has to be on Dolly's mind too. I mean, mm-hmm. Dolly is is a world figure, a world traveler, and he has to be just kind of reactive deeply to all that horrific warfare that happened. So to be in 1948, that's so close to the end of the war. Somehow that has to filter in, although I haven't found anything that I can read that would help me understand that. Mm. So I mentioned that Dali's Christ compared to St. John of the Cross's Christ, Dali's is muscular. He almost looks like a trapeze artist suspended. And uh, he actually did use a Hollywood stuntsman as his model for this, who actually (laughs) went up on a wooden structure cross-like in his studio for 20 minutes at a time. So Dali could see how... The body actually looks when it's suspended from something like this. I, I can't imagine being in that position for 20 minutes. <laughs> it looks it's I mean, amazing. I know. Because the arms are stretched so far back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I mean, my hands can't even go that back naturally. Like, yeah. it, it has to be yanked back there or something. <laughs> or I have to get more flexible. Maybe I should be stretching more, <laughs> more often. Well, and, and you know, here, here's another sort of earthbound observance is that Dali had no other paintings to look at with a figure in that position. Right, this, right. This is really quite a unique figure, uh, which goes in contrast to the surrealist who said he was really just making pictures of other people's narratives. This is clearly his own narrative. And he's got to see this stuntman do this, or he's not going to know what any of the, the bones, the arms, the muscles look like. The guy looks like he's in pain. So I don't know if I mentioned this last time we talked about Salvador Dali, but I had this painting hanging in my room in college because I just wow. – I liked – not the painting itself. <laughs> a poster. You're a very lucky like, person. It was like 1495 is, is, is what it maybe sent me back. But there's something about 
taking something that you've seen a million times, probably literally as a Catholic, the crucifixion, we see it everywhere. It was yeah. in my classroom in Catholic grade school and, and at home and wherever. But seeing it from a different perspective makes you be like, oh, wait, it's almost like you get routine of seeing it and it doesn't, it loses its meaning. Yes. Well, and see, like, Kyle. But seeing it from a different perspective, you're like, oh, wait, this is, this is a big deal. Yes. And all of those other depictions you've seen are all artistic depictions. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like you're looking at the crucifixion as it actually happened. They're interpretations from the scriptures. So. But, but they're almost identical. Well, right. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, but. We take them for granted as, oh, that's objective fact. Like that's that's a photographic representation right. of what happened when all we have to rely on are gospel accounts. And the gospels don't always agree on specific details. Sure. So some details are borrowed from dis- different gospels. And you see in, in, in images of the crucifixion, you see, oh, that's from this gospel and that's from this gospel. And it's combined into one. Well, even things like, uh, was he, did the nail go through the palm or did it go through the wrist? Right. Was he tied up in addition to nailed on? Like mm-hmm. there's all these things that, you know, history scholars kind of debate about how the crucifixion would have taken place. And this kind of throws that all out and says like, forget about that. Like there's, there's not even a nail in my picture. There's no blood. This, well, but this well, makes right. you think about it still. And, and those details don't change our faith in Christ. I mean, it's fun to think about them and it's it's fun to, it, it, it may be important to get a definitive answer. It doesn't change the fact that he was crucified. And just like you said, Dali's perspective of it, it reminds us that artistic depictions of the life of Christ or other biblical people are just that. They're artistic depictions. Mm-hmm. And I think as artists, they, sh- they, should, they should always try to be true to the the heart of the truth, but where these other details come in, they point to other realities of our faith. The fact that he is the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. He's not just the God that was crucified in time and, and space in that one time. He's the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and this cross is governing all things. The triumphant cross is governing all things. And, right. and, just like you said, you know, when we look at, from our perspective, you know, a beautiful vista landscape with blue sky and mountains and water is the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. And we're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's so beautiful. It's so vast to our eyes. But in this painting, it's not as beautiful as the cross. Mm. The cross is the most beautiful, dramatic part of this painting. and the body of Christ, it's mind-blowing how beautiful it is. And so it, it kind of puts that landscape in perspective for us. It's like yeah. the landscape is not the most beautiful thing you're ever going to see. Right. Well, it's subordinate, as all earthbound things would be. It's subordinate, but it's also lovely uh-huh. because God made it. Yes. So it, it, It's right. It's a reminder that the God of the universe made this beautiful thing that you love, mm-hmm. but it's not what you should stake your life on. You stake right. your life on the cross. And there's an aspect of it that's outside of the actual time and place that the crucifixion took place. Like this is not on Golgotha. It's not on a mountain. There's not the people around. It's over a fishing village or mm-hmm. it, whether this be the apostolic, you know, mission or if it was a, just a different scene, which makes me think, we think of the crucifixion of Jesus as being, you know, something that happened 2000 years ago. 
and it affects us in the future, but mm-hmm. it also affects the past. Yeah. And we talk about this with Mary, that she was conceived without sin. And it's not that she didn't need a savior, but that Jesus already had saved her. I know. <laughs> prior to her conception. Yes. And so this kind of look back, it's like Jesus on the cross overlooking that moment, mm-hmm. even before he was born. Mm-hmm. Even before his mom was born. Yes. Like, th- like this whole. I know. I, I th- it's such a powerful piece. And is there any other painting of Jesus that we don't see his face? Like, is there anything where he's even looking away from the painter? Yeah, it's, it's such a unique it is. thing. It is. And you're right, Kyle. You know, we spend a lot of time, which I think we should spend a lot of time thinking about the historical Jesus of what happened 2000 years ago. But I think John of the Cross and Dali remind us that the confines of our space-time human experience is just such a small perspective. Yeah. And and the perspective of Christ here looking down at this, oh, this little ocean here uh-huh. <laughs> shows that what seems really big to us and vast to us is just from our very limited perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, an- another m- minor point, but as a device that has meaning, our perspective looking down at the head of, back of the head of Christ as he leans forward on the cross in the darkness of the cosmos, but the length of the cross extends down into the world. Oh, yeah. And that's who crucified him. That's where he was crucified and went into the cosmos. And I think that it it touches, it steps just a little bit out of the darkness and into a a gray, Hmm. stormier atmosphere, Mm -hmm. which is just above the the, sort of colorful atmosphere. and I think that I think that the painter is thinking where the cross came from, who did this to Christ, mm-hmm. and the grayness is, and that was a bad day. Right. That was a bad time. Right. That's a really good point, Charles. So the apex of the cross where it kind of, there's this almost like this little gray storm around the base of the cross where it kind of pierces the canvas. And just below that is that nice little, oh, that nice little ocean scene. And then then there's that little kind of stormy area. And then the cross quickly vaults up into space and this really dramatic light kind of illuminates the muscular body. And you'd have to really look at the painting or else you might miss that little mm-hmm. detail. Well, and it, the muscularity, I think, is a reminder of the strength of Christ. He wasn't weak as he went up on the cross, we weren't able to weaken Christ. He was on the cross. He remains on the cross, watching us in a position of strength, not in a position of of weakness, as most traditional artists would have portrayed it, thinking that they're being very sympathetic, Mm -hmm. which which I'm sure they were. But Dolly has got more meaning in this painting than any (laughs) painter has ever done the crucifix. Uh, it's, It's really... Remarkable. The more you look at it, you keep finding things that will tell you that he's got a message for you here. Which is funny because it's so simple. I feel like there's probably much busier yes. paintings of the crucifix that have all kinds of symbolism yeah. because this character is doing this or whatever. You know, but this is a very, I mean, <laughs> what is it like 
a third of the painting is black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and and you know, we don't see his face. We see his strong body. And mm-hmm. yes, Charles, I think you're right about the strength of Christ. But I, I don't see his posture as being uh like vengeful or judgmental. It's not mm-hmm. as if like you know, you couldn't kill me and here I am lording it over That's you. That's not our Christ. And and Dali is, is really careful not to position Christ as the mean judge. <laughs> no, I, I, I interpret it more as a, actually a protective Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm strong enough. Mm-hmm. I'm up here and I'm strong enough for you. Right. Mm, that's a really good point, Charles. And, and the simplicity... You know, and I I could be giving Dali more credit, but the simplicity to me is, you know, how complicated is the world really? Hmm. It's not all that complicated. You got Christ. You're on earth. Yeah. You, you may you may be lucky enough to go this way. Right. You know, <laughs> probably not on a cross though. <laughs> so early in his career, surrealist, kind of these crazy melting clocks, weird elephants, sometimes vulgar things. Seems to have a, a conversion and maybe is kicked out of the surrealist movement, starts painting religious artwork. Is this still considered surrealist? Because it's a, it's not a natural scene. Like this is well, unrealistic. I, I think that I don't know the answer to that question specifically. I, I, I don't know how anybody has chosen to categorize it. Okay. Um, I think at the point that he painted this, he didn't care anymore. About be he he'd had enough fame yeah, and yeah. enough um, success that he he was focused on what he called this nuclear or cosmic mysticism. So mm-hmm. he's he's kind of in a genre all his own. Well, and you know, it's fascinating that you express it that way because in essence, you think you know here's 1948. Now, after 1948, so many artists fled Europe to come to America. And so many art schools wanted to do what the European, I mean, they were better known than American artists. So as American, as American artists found themselves the center of the art world in New York City because of what happened in Europe and because of the destruction of Paris and the other art centers, ah, this is a really awkward painting for you to do, Dolly, because you're not supposed to be doing religious subjects, number one. We don't. That's not what's going to happen. Over the next 50 years, we're going to deny it even more than we have in the first part of the century. So we have a problem with that, but but you can't really deny Dolly because he's already famous. Mm-hmm. So I think what you do is unintelligently, I think artists and critics put him back in the surrealist moods quiet, you know, quietly. I know the other guys don't like you, but you're really a surrealist. Because if as a surrealist, I'm okay with you doing Christ. Huh. I'm not as a modern painter. That's, I don't know. Yeah. So because... If, as a modern painter, if I looked at this, that Dali went back to the faith and he's painting religious paintings, then I would have to tell you, oh, that's a pretty good painting and it's religious. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm wrong for doing stripes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's just call him a surrealist. Most of the other surrealists are dead anyway, so they're not going to complain. And we, we just tied the whole problem right up. You put yeah. a tablecloth over the mess and nobody notices it. I think that's what it is. Well, that is- <laughs> we're going to go with that then. Now, Kyle, no great painting is without controversy. And uh-huh. this painting was no exception. It actually is in Glasgow, Scotland, of all places. So um, it was purchased by the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum after 
the director of that museum had seen this painting in a London gallery and had seen how popular it was and how people responded to it. So he had a special art purchasing fund that allowed him to spend a lot of money on paintings like this. And the he, art gallery in Scotland had a fund. Yes. Okay. And and he 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 purchased this. It, it was, you know, it was hanging in a gallery, so it was still on the commercial market, so to hmm. speak. So he saw how popular it was. He purchased it. But um, the, the town and I think a lot of art students protested because they thought, don't bring this wild Spanish man to our very dignified <laughs> Scottish yeah. city. And the baggage of it being religious, probably. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know that for sure. But critics, critics independent of um, Glasgow thought it's too religious, too uh -huh. realistic. And it was painted in 1948 when, um, you know, Jackson Pollock and all the abstract expressionists were really famous. Yeah. So to be explicitly religious, explicitly realistic, got him a lot of criticism, which is seems so petty to me, yeah. but that's what it is. <laughs> so would this have been in the 50s, like pretty early on they're purchasing it? So it was purchased in 1952. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Just shortly yeah. after. And um, I purchased for, in today's pounds, 200,000 pounds, which I don't know the <laughs> <laughs> what that is in dollars, but I think a lot. So um, eventually- but not, not compared to probably what it's worth today. No, I, I think I read- estimates are like $80 million, something like that. <laughs> and it's funny because um, you, you, I think- you, uh, Spain offered yeah. to buy it from Glasgow for $80 million okay. and Glasgow wouldn't sell it. Yeah. So it's actually worth more than $80 million. Yeah. And in 1962, um, a young man who hated the painting went into the into the museum with a sharp stone and began um, hacking at the painting to the point where he hacked a hole in it so that he could get a grip huh. on it and rip down the canvas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently they've repaired that. They did repair it. Um, you can still see the seam where they fixed it, but they, huh. they use this wax to kind of to put the painting back together. And now I think it's under glass. So okay. yeah, bulletproof glass. <laughs> So if you get a poster, like pencil in a little line and it'll be more accurate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or you could you could rip it first and then what happened to your poster? I'm just getting more realistic. <laughs> well, I I do think this is such a powerful image. And the the original from St. John of the Cross is a lot more kind of crude and basic. But still kind of a cool thing. So I'll definitely put links to both of these in the show notes. But if you looked up the crucifixion sketch by St. John of the Cross, it'll pull up that one, the original. And then if you look up Christ of St. John of the Cross, Salvador Dali, mm -hmm. you'll get the, the, I guess, the more modern interpretation yeah, and, and of it. I would recommend, too, there are a couple of YouTube videos about the relationship between these works of art. So okay. if people want to learn more about it, I go to YouTube. You'll, you'll find information there. Yeah. But it's a powerful thing to reflect on and maybe even take to prayer and take the image with you and, you know, spend 10, 15 minutes just kind of meditating and yeah. looking at it. And I, I guess if this is my Lent PSA, uh -huh. um, you know, in Lent, yes, definitely meditate on the suffering Christ and our own, self-imposed suffering in Lent as we work our way towards Easter. Yes, think about that. You know, think about um, the meek and humble Christ who submitted to that, but also remember the cosmic Christ who's Lord of the universe, who in his strength overcame all of that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks for bringing this back up again. I haven't really thought about this image in a while. Do you still have the poster, I don't Kyle? know what happened to it. No, I think I gave it away. I, Yeah, that's a whole other story. I got rid of all my stuff and went to Honduras for a year, so... <laughs> Haven't haven't reclaimed that painting, but this, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll order a new one in your man cave. Yep, set it up. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Charles and Amanda Shepard. Appreciate it. Nice Thanks for having it. us on. For more shows, check out kylehyman.com. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.